Taylor Decker's on my all 22 fantasy team, by the way. Stop. Stop it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Taylor's I don't care, and I'm in the league. I'm just trying to hype up the future of fantasy football here. They told me we could hype it up. Nobody cares about your fantasy team. That's one of the uh, cardinal my rules way. of broadcasting. Regardless of the medium, they don't care. So the strategic component to this game is through the roof. Your predictions, right? Your forecasting in fantasy football into how good is this player? This is gonna it's gonna change the industry. Yeah. yeah. I moved to the old town with goals down. Look at me now. I wrote my goals down. Welcome in to the All 22 Podcast. I am Chris Lombardi and I'm joined by Ray Cotto. Uh, the last few weeks we've been releasing slowly, slowly, the uh, updated position weights. You know, again, for our game, All 22, we use position weights timed PFF grading to give you your, your points for the week. So that's how we keep score, essentially. Um, this week, though, right, we listed, I think, four different positions that we have not spoken about yet, Ray. So we need to do that. We're a little behind the eight ball, so we got to jump right in. Uh, let's start off with guard. Guard had the slightest increase from 3.8% to 3.87%. So as always, I'm going to ask you the question, what impacted the weight increase at guard? It's basically just Chris Lindstrom. He signed a contract for $20.5 million per year. Uh, in March, which raised the average for the group. I think the highest contract prior to that was 20 million even per year uh, on average. So gave a slight premium and just raised that top five average for the position group overall. So ever so slightly, which is why you see that ever so slight uh, bump. Right. And Lindstrom, like you said, barely raises it, but him and Nelson are now, Quentin Nelson are now the two highest paid guards by pretty decent margin. I think the next guy under them is Elton Jenkins at 17 million. So it's a 3 million bump from those guys. So it did, we did see that increase a little bit. Love to see that for Lindstrom. He had basically a legendary season for all 22. Um, and then right behind them, uh, Lindstrom, Nelson, Jenkins, Brandon Sheriff, and then Petonio are the five highest paid guards. So those are the guys that are impacting the weight. As always, right, we're looking at those top five guys. We're saying some of them are kind of on the older side. I don't know if I would take them high up in a startup all 22 draft. So when we then go and rank these guys, we're taking into account all different things, which I've explained a few times, and I'm going to explain it again. So it's age. It's it's position grading for the last three years. It's position weight. It's a snap count for the different years. Um, the draft position of the player, if it's a young player, right? We want to know, did the team draft them in the first round or were they a seventh round pick just overachieving? Uh, we want to know their surroundings. Guard, right? Who's the tackle next to them? Um, you know, is it is are they going to have to cover for a lot of deficiencies on the offensive line or are they just a piece that's being added to a already great offensive line? So all things we consider, excuse me, all things we consider, um, especially at the guard position. But uh, Ray, upcoming, we have Michael Onwenu, Robert Hunt, and Ezra Cleveland, all part of that 2020 class that should be guys getting paid, if not that 20 million range, pretty, pretty darn close. So what do you think? Are those three guys going to get paid? I'm a huge fan of Hunt and on Wienu, uh, especially. So I think we got I got sniped in our inaugural uh, draft for him. So was pretty bummed about that. But yeah, I think I think those are the next two up. Are they going to clear Lindstrom? 
I'm not sure quite about that. There's the whole, you know, idea of you're the latest contract in the market. And so you kind of reset the market whenever you're the next big guy to, uh, to sign that big deal. At the same time, Lindstrom is slowly kind of ascended himself to that, uh, top tier, almost all his own lately. So we'll see how that kind of shakes out, but I think for sure, they're definitely going to be in that top. Uh, in that top three range that you see currently at the very least. So some additional reinforcements kind of coming up there for guard, uh, which could increase their value in the years to come, you know, in the next couple of years uh, for a position that overall in the league, as we've kind of mentioned, is not very deep, right? So you really need those top guys uh, to sign those big contracts and to kind of carry the water, if you will, because you have those top guys. And then after that, it is a clear drop off to sort of, everybody else after guard maybe six or seven and we've talked about on being this guy who plays a bunch of different positions right now sometimes for new england he's not even the starter which is bizarre considering how good he's played and how good he's graded uh you know i think for him to reach that 20 million range he's probably gonna have to sign elsewhere the patriots aren't really known for spending big on offensive linemen they draft them and a lot of times they hit right and they, those guys do well so i'd like to see on go somewhere else, get that big payday and find a position he could call home. Uh, and I think that's probably for all 22 users, what they would want to for, for a guy they invest that highly in. Um, but again, going back to our top five, right? So it's, it's Lindstrom, it's on Winu, it's Quentin Nelson. And then a guy like Trey Smith falls at four. He's a younger guy still, right? So he's not necessarily a guy that's going to be paid soon, but he's already kind of seen in that same light as some of these top guys. So do you think that we have him ranked appropriately or do you think maybe he should be a little higher on this list? Oof. I I'm a huge fan of Trey Smith. It's yes, yeah, easy to say, oh, have him higher. But again, who who are the names above him? So Lindstrom, Anwinu, and Quentin Nelson. Yeah, so pretty good players. To- yeah, it's hard to say, okay, that's the name I'm going to put down below him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he's appropriately ranked, uh, but in any given year could finish higher than one of those names, right? Uh, he's a huge talent, a superb talent who really only fell in the draft because of some medical questions around, I think, blood clotting or something to that effect where there was concern that he wouldn't be able to practice very often and so forth, which uh, it's whatever, 2023. I mean, wouldn't what do the practices really consist of anymore? Uh, you know, so whatever, but, uh, talent wise, he's, he's right up there with the best of them and he's got age on his side. He's one of those again, in that top tier before you see the drop off. And then we have some guys that are on the older side, like a Batonio. Uh, we also have Zach Martin, right? Uh, guys like that, that are just sitting there right outside that top five. Would you ever consider taking one of them above a, top prospect like a Trey Smith. No, no, I wouldn't. Um, I'm the age guy too, though. So I definitely would not, but no disrespect to them as good players, but uh, I'm taking the, the young guys first, especially because as we see, it's hard. There haven't been many good guards to enter the league in recent years. So it's not as if you just kind of have a factory line of these guys coming in, like at receiver, for example, where you have at least a handful of really good players every single year entering the draft that you can maybe pick up and backfill uh, to develop later on. Guard is not like that. It's it's rare to find the big men that move well enough and perform well enough to make a difference for your team. So if you have the choice between having one of those types of players for two to three or four years versus seven to ten, 
I'm taking the the player I can have for seven to ten because I don't have to stress about finding that type of rare prospect for a while. Right. And then something you kind of touched on, right, is there hasn't been a lot of great guards drafted in the NFL in the last few years. And now we look at the rookies, right? So our top rookies are um, Avila, Torrance, Bradford, Zavala, and Saw. Like guys, some of these guys, I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch their film yet. They're guys that kind of flew under the radar, but the NFL invested in them early, right? So we ranked these rookies based on how the NFL picked them. Um, none of them were drafted in the first round. And then again, some of these are guys that, you know, a team might see something in where NFL kind of uh, evaluators just just miss them completely. So what faith do you have in any of these guys, if any? And when do you start taking guys like this? I don't have much faith in many of them, to be honest. I mean, for those who listen to The Daily, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Antonio Mafi, for example. But maybe am leery about how he will actually grade given his style of play. Uh, we need guys who are going to grade well on a consistent basis. And that's not exactly Mafi's game. Uh, I am intrigued by city. So, or Sow, um, but that's just kind of a late round flyer type deal. I mean, the main rookie guard, if you will, that, that I'm intrigued by and would put some, type of investment in is someone who currently isn't listed at guard who may project to be guard uh, at guard for this upcoming season uh, in Matthew Bergeron, who I think is currently projected to play left guard for the Falcons, but um, wasn't officially listed as a guard just quite yet. And had kind of had that tackle guard tweener uh, labeled to his name. So if that shakes out to where he does move on to the interior of the offensive line, then I would be high on Bergeron. He, I mean, he went to a good offensive line and an offense as a whole that has a concrete identity for running the football and running the football effectively. So they know what they are. They know what they do. He would be lined up next to Jake Matthews, a veteran uh, to his left at tackle over there. So that's always a big plus for rookies coming in to have that sort of veteran to lean on there uh, alongside them to bring them along. So I think there are a lot of things working in his favor if Bergeron ends up at left guard and then uh, obviously would be listed as such moving forward. So outside of that, of the quote unquote, like pure guard only type players that we had in this last class, I'm not really terribly high on any of them, which goes back to the point as to why I would take a younger guy like Trey Smith over someone like Zach Martin, who uh, maybe perform uh, a bit better right now, but doesn't have that longevity to his game. So I think it's worth mentioning a guy that we were both pretty down on. And I think the draft kind of proved us right with Osiris Torrance, right? He didn't go until pick 59, but he did land with the Bills, right? So the situation that everybody was predicting just maybe around later than he was supposed to, um, he's not a guy I, I really like. He's really raw, uh, but and he's older. So I don't know how much improvement is really left in him, but he is this massive body that's going to an offense that, will kind of cover up a lot of his blemishes. So I think there's definitely an investment worthwhile there, uh, not as a first or second round pick in all 22 drafts, maybe not even a third or fourth round pick, but somehow he slips at the end of the fourth or fifth round. I think that's a great spot to take a shot on a guy like him, considering how hard it is to hit on guards. And another guy, um, I was a big fan of Cody Mock, um, and he lands in Tampa. I don't know what position he's going to play. Again, he was a guy that played tackle in college. I think he's projected to move to guard in the NFL. Um, and there's a chance he ends up lining next to 
you know, Tristan Wirfs, which would be incredible situation for him uh, and a great situation for that team. And just some somebody that I would take a risk on, right? And that's a guy maybe more of like a seventh round pick. He's like the last guy I'm going to take in an all 22 draft, but but a worthwhile investment if I'm going to invest in any of these guys. Yeah, that that's a good one. Um, big fan of Malcolm more so on the inside than on the outside. If that's where he ends up, the the overall surroundings in Tampa Bay may not be great, but if you're next to Tristan Works, that that negates a lot of it. And if you have Jensen coming back, that that could be a good spot. Yeah. And I I've said it before, uh, privately, you know, I'll put my neck out on the line again and say it, but I think that Tampa is one of those teams that if they do things right with the draft this year, if they hit on some of the guys like, like Cody, um, it could be a quick turnaround, right? Like it doesn't have to be this long rebuild considering they have a worse, they have a Chris Godwin, you know, they have some fundamental pieces that you really like for a team, especially on offense that it's really just, you know, what are they going to do at quarterback? If they can hit on quarterback in the draft next year, I don't see them being a bad team for long. But let's move on. Let's go into defensive interior. I'll let you answer that, though, of course. No, I was just going to say that, you know, it wasn't that long ago that uh, Baker Mayfield was like a top 12 quarterback in, in all 22 startup. So, you know, I don't know. Could Yeah, could we totally missed the ball. You're right. Was- you're right. We totally missed it. Yeah, him. yeah, sure. That's uh <laughs> yeah, that's definitely it. Not that his like shoulder was out of the rest of his body, you know. True. Sure. True. All right, let's move on. We're gonna stay kind of close to the ball. Let's go on the defensive side though, to defensive interior. That had a pretty nice increase, right? So they went from four point nine six percent to five point one four percent. And it's a position that you can start three, right? So you're gonna get that five point one four percent for the first two, and then you're gonna get the uh kind of like that, not flex, but that uh, third player weight on the third one if you do decide to start three, um, if you're running a 3-4. A so love that, right? So it's a it's an important position to invest in, and it's, it's a deeper position than you would maybe think just at first glance. But Ray, tell us why, again, that weight was impacted. Yeah, the big one to note is uh, Daron Payne signed a big deal uh, in March, uh, for $22.5 million per year. Uh, it's funny when you look at at this position and you see sort of the gulf between Aaron Donald and everyone else. Aaron Donald's getting paid over $31 million per year uh, on his current deal. So whereas, you know, someone like Deron Payne, I just mentioned, big deal, 22 and a half. And I think Jeffrey Simmons is up there at $23.5 million uh, per year on a four-year deal as well. So those are two fantastic players on big deals, and they are like $8 million plus million off of what Aaron Donald is currently making on an annual basis. So Donald is definitely sort of dragging the rest of these guys, even though the other big contracts are respectable in their own right. Um, but I do think that's more so due to the talent of Aaron Donald compared to everybody else versus how teams value interior defensive linemen so um it's not one of those deals where okay once donald whenever he does call it quits or that contract is off the books at this positional sort of plummet i think there's some good young players uh sort of on the come up like you mentioned this position group is deeper than you would than you might expect so as those deals sort of come to fruition and they continue to sort of stack on on the contracts that you see from daron Payne and jeffrey simmons they'll kind of hold steady. They might, you know, eventually sort of drop in value a little bit once Donald comes off the book, but 
by and large, they'll still be a premium position to build your team around, which I think is what you'd expect. Yeah, it's very strange to have a position where you're you're you have three players that got paid. Simmons, Payne, and Hargrave all got paid this offseason, and they barely made a dent in the the weight uh, impact because of how far ahead Donald is, right? Even after these massive deals come through. So that's pretty that's definitely unique. And there are a lot of upcoming deals that are going to influence this uh, with the top five ranked guys, right? So if we look at our top five ranked, we have uh, Quinn and Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Derek Brown, Jeffrey Simmons, and Chris Jones. Uh, so a few of those guys have been paid, but we're still looking at Quinn and Williams and Derek Brown going, you know, that each one of those guys can, you know, surpass Jeffrey Simmons and Payne's deal. Um, and I think Quinn and Williams definitely will. And he'll probably, you know, the reason he probably hasn't been paid yet is because he's pushing a deal close to what Aaron Donald got paid when everybody else is saying, no, no, no. The real number is what Jeffrey Simmons got paid. Yeah. And that's what, that's what, that's what guys will argue. Right. But um, not that that'll be old news, but that'll be the previous market. Right. So the market will always be higher than that and might inch up closer to where Donald is now by the time those contracts roll around. Yeah, for sure. And there's one guy that did get paid, but it was after we locked in the weights and that's Dexter Lawrence. So that's another guy that should influence that top five number. Uh, so we are seeing this as a position that's going to increase in value right. year over year, as long as there's guys that continue to step up and just make a name for themselves. So uh, going back to our top five though, Ray, what do you think so far? So Quinton Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Derek Brown, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, and Chris Jones. What do you think of that top five? I'd have to agree. Uh, I don't. I don't really see any issues with it. I mean, you see, sort of the you see the talent and youth of of the position. Those guys really just sort of epitomize it. And I mean, you can go, uh, you can go deeper beyond that. There's great players that might just have an extra, you know, couple of years on those guys, so they might not have the longevity, right? Where you're talking about a Vita Vea, Kenny Clark, uh, guys like that, DJ Reader, who are all still really good players that, that sort of round out the rest of that top dozen or so guys. Um, so it's a deep group, but when you talk, when you talk about the combination of talent and age and longevity, I think there's not much to argue with that, you know, top five or six names there. Sure. And I think, you know, people are going to ask, they're going to ask about Aaron Donald not being included in there. Um, and I'm not going to ask you the question because you're the age guy, but, uh, Aaron Donald's 32 and last year he dealt with some injuries. Uh, he still performed at an extremely high level. Uh, but do we see that continuing for, you know, four years, I think, or three years, right? Even I, I'm a guy that says you should make an investment looking at the next three years. You shouldn't try to make one for 10 years. Ray and I see a little differently on that, but even Aaron Donald being 32 years old, I don't know if you have three years guaranteed in there where the rest of the guys, I think you easily do. Um, even including Chris Jones, who's, you know, not significantly younger, but he's you know going to be 29 this year. That three years takes him to where Aaron Donald is now. So that's why I think Aaron Donald really isn't on that list. But another guy, Ray, from this upcoming draft was Jalen Carter. So Jalen Carter did not make our, our top five. I think, you know, we, we hear the press. We hear people saying he's the best thing since sliced bread. But, um, you know, there's a lot of concerns, right, with the, with the legal stuff that he has issues with. Um, do you feel good about him not being in our top five? Yeah, I don't want to jump the gun on him too much, right? I mean... D tackle is a position or defensive interior is a position where um, there's enough guys with youth who have proven it already where you don't have to jump them based on what you project 
someone to be, right? It's not like running back where really the prime years of a running back are those first four or five years. So uh, it's it's much easier to project someone like a B. John Robinson to enter into that top five group. Whereas defensive interior, you have guys who can stick around, like you see with Aaron Donald, play well into their early 30s. So there's there's no need to sort of jump the gun and just say, well, here's what Jalen Carter could be. So I'm going to put him above. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to put him above a Jeffrey Simmons, for example. Right. That's uh, there's no need to do that quite yet. There's there's plenty of opportunity to let it play out because these guys have proven it and they're much safer bets uh, before you even get into, hey, what off the field stuff can maybe impact these things as well. And he did land at number, I believe, eight on our list, which is still very, very high for a rookie defensive interior. Uh, but he was our top rookie. So it was him, Kalasha Kansi, Mozzie Smith, Brian Perse, and then uh, Benton, who was a guy I really liked out of Wisconsin. So that's the top five. That's how the NFL took them. But Ray, is there a guy whose landing spot you liked, you know, more than maybe some of the other guys? Oh, and, man, and you're not Mazi allowed to Smith, maybe, you know, no, oh. what do you mean? I'm not allowed to say you can't I was, say, I'm no, I was going to say, you're say. not allowed. I was going to say you're not allowed to say Jalen Carter because you know, him landing in Philly, it's almost like a cheat code, right? It's, no, it's that's, too easy. That's, that's so too go obvious. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's too obvious. That's basically like, that's basically like Jalen Carter staying at Georgia. Like, Oh, we got the guy that you played next to. And then the guy who played behind you at Georgia is also there. And then like the other guy you played next to at Nolan Smith is also there. Yeah. It's, they're just recreating the Georgia Bulldogs there. So there's not really much to discuss in, in Philadelphia. We know it's a good on field situation for him as long as he can stay on the field. Uh, but Mozzie Smith love the fit. Um, there's a bevy of pass rushers in Dallas, really, right between uh, Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, Dorrance Armstrong, Sam Williams. They have the guys to provide the edge pressure. And then even on the interior, Oso Digizua is more of that uh, three-tech sort of penetrating uh, quick twitch type of player as well. They needed someone with Mozzie Smith's skill set who will just be asked to first and foremost provide a presence in run defense which is what he was asked to do at Michigan. And a lot of people take that and, and they look at his career at Michigan and go, well, he doesn't, you know, he's, he, he's not a pass rusher. You didn't see much pass rush from him and so forth, but he wasn't asked to do that at Michigan. and wasn't relied on to do that as, at Michigan. That doesn't mean he can't. When I watched the film, I thought he was more than capable of being able to provide that pass rush as far as having that ability um, with his core strength and, and sort of the spring in his legs and all that good stuff. But another underrated thing, if this holds and they keep him, is that Jonathan Hankins is also still in Dallas, who's a veteran lineman who basically is built in the same mold as Mozzie Smith, that sort of big-bodied, run-stopping type player who does all the dirty work. So it's good to have that type of presence in the organization, on the team, for a young guy like Mozzie Smith as well. So it's not just the fact that, oh, he's surrounded by pass rushers, he's got a great defensive coordinator in Dan Quinn, and so all he's going to be asked to do right now is to do what he does best, which is be a big body to stop the run. But he's also got that sort of veteran presence from a player perspective to lean on early in his career as well. So there's a lot of things going for Mozzie Smith, aside from the fact that he is severely underrated. And so many of you are just not giving him his proper due as a player in his own right. Well, I had a conversation with friend of the pod, uh, Chris DePama today about something similar, because I think the NFL sometimes tries to do too much with some of these players that have a skill set that is geared towards one thing, right? And we see it a lot at linebacker. These guys are taken early. Um, I heard Brad Spielberger say that there's been 16 linebackers chosen in the first round since 2016, and not a single one has got get 
not a single one has received a second deal with the team that drafted them. So what I think the reason is, is because they're asked to, to do so much. They try the NFL tries to target these hybrid guys, expecting them to be able to be a blitzer, a run stopper and a coverage guy, which is almost impossible for anyone, right? There's not a position in the NFL other than linebacker has to do something as diverse as that. And I think they fail. I think defensive interior might be the next thing, right? Where they're asked to be these massive run stoppers, but then also asked to apply pressure. I think you get a lot more success when you let a guy develop naturally. I think that's why you see guys like Quinn Williams and Derek Brown who weren't like instant hits from their rookie seasons. I think it's because they were asked to do a lot and it takes time to develop into that. I could see that being similar for a guy like Mozzie Smith, who um, has kind of one skill set right now. And if the Cowboys kind of focus him on that, I think he'll have a lot of success and allow him to gradually become more than, you know, this, this all around player. That's going to take time. It's going to take multiple years and it takes almost everyone at the position multiple years. So I do like that. I like Mozzie Smith in Dallas. Yeah, I think, uh, so real quick, it's funny you say that because a lot of people, if you go back 15 months ago, people were saying, Hey, is this Derek Brown guy a bust? He performed poorly both in his first two years. Carolina being a young team there that kind of invested a lot in youth on their defense. So he was asked to do a bunch, right? And he had two years of subpar grading under 70 grading before kind of really blowing up in 2022, where now everybody says, okay, this is a premier player uh, on the, on the interior of the defense here. This is a cornerstone type guy. No one was saying that 15 months ago. They, they were kind of questioning if he would ever become that guy. So you're right. It takes time. And if you just fill up their plate, uh, you know, to the brim initially, you're going to have those growing pains. Absolutely. And since you did it, I'm going to do it too. So my guy is Lucas Van Ness for the Packers. Hated the pick when it came out. Was happy that we didn't go tight end because it's a low value position. So I was happy that we at least went with something a little more high value with uh, defensive interior slash maybe edge. The reason I'm talking about him here is because I actually think he will become a defensive interior uh, for the Packers. I don't see him as a stand-up guy. We do a lot of 3-4. So allow Preston Smith and allow Rashawn Gary to be your stand-ups and allow Lucas Van Ness to do what he does well, put his hand in the dirt next to Devontae Wyatt, next to Kenny Clark, uh, and it will be kind of a low-pressure situation for him. And I always talk about that. I like a rookie to be able to go into a situation where he's kind of like a value add. It's not that he is the one providing all of the value. He's going to be a value add because I think that will help his grading in all 22. Um, so, yeah, Lucas Van Ness, if he ends up becoming a defensive interior over time, love that spot for him, landing in Green Bay. Oh, you love it. So can I say, can I say one more to kind of a, a sleeper as well? Absolutely. Before we move into another position. So something to sort of store away is uh Gervon Dexter, if I'm saying that correctly in, in Chicago, uh, Justin Jones has been pretty unimpressive over there in, in Chicago. Didn't have a good year last year as well. Dexter has a fabulous run stop rate near the tops of the country, if I recall correctly. And I kind of like his upside as well. A similar thing where I'm not going to start him anywhere this year, but maybe in year two or definitely by year three, I think he's got the chops to kind of have an ascension maybe to a lesser degree, but sort of a similar uh, path to Derek Brown on the interior of the defense. So just another young name to to stow away. And he's on the, the Bears, you said, right? Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. So that, that Bears defense put a lot of investment in there. You have to like that. There's going to be a couple like really mature linebackers playing behind him. Uh, so, you know, again, maybe it makes the situation, which seems maybe like a difficult one, a little bit easier for him to transition into. But yeah, so let's move to running back, which had the biggest dip of any position going from 3.44% to 2, 2.94%. Um, and why was the, why was that weight impacted, right? It's supply and demand, right? There is so much supply that there was no big demand, right? I mean, what was what was the big deal? There really was none. I think all eyes are on sort of what happens with Saquon Barkley here. Um, he was slapped with the tag, which doesn't obviously impact or increase the overall value or top value at the position since that's just an average of those top contracts there. So with the quality that was available in the draft and in free agency and potentially on the trade market when we're hearing uh, names like Dalvin Cook as well, there was really no incentive for any team to spend big money on a running back, so they didn't. Uh, so with other positions signing uh, big contracts for top players and running backs standing pat, naturally they fell in value. Sure. And it was kind of interesting to watch that giant situation where it was, are they going to pay Daniel Jones? Are they going to pay Saquon? Are they going to tag Daniel Jones? Are they going to tag Saquon? And I, I don't know if Daniel Jones maybe did Saquon a disservice because he waited till the last minute, right, to agree to that deal. That didn't really give the Giants time to negotiate with Saquon. They tagged Saquon, um, but he wasn't the only one that got tagged. So it was it was Saquon and Jonathan Jacob, uh, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Jacobs. Josh Jacobs. So those two guys get tagged and those are really the two big names. Oh, and Tony Pollard, right? So three names yep, Tony Pollard. that all could have gotten paydays all get the tag, which is a, you know, not a big number for, uh, for running backs. And that's, you know, that's the market, right? It's, it's, will those guys really get, get their payday? I, I don't know. And then, you know, it's Jonathan Taylor from the 2020 class, who's a year after these guys, but we're seeing a lot of 2020 class players getting paid right now. So, you know, will Jonathan Taylor end up getting a payday before some of these guys? I, I don't know. But those are the guys I think that we should be looking at next. Um, and then let's go to the top five, right? So it's Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Nick Chubb are all of the running backs that right now carry the biggest uh, the biggest uh, salary uh, on an average per year basis. So Christian McCaffrey still kind of, uh, you know, killing it, slaying it, uh, but you know, like getting a little bit older, Kamara coming off of injuries last season, might have some legal issues this season, might end up facing a suspension, also getting older. David Cook doesn't look like he's going to stay on that team, might get released. Uh, so another guy just like not really looking great. Derek Henry is going to be 30 years old, I think this year, you know, and they drafted a running back to uh, pretty early on to maybe replace him. And there was a lot of speculation that he was going to be traded. And then maybe the one solid guy besides McCaffrey is Nick Chubb, who's this kind of, uh, you know, do it all back, who just goes to work every day with his with his uh, his hat and pail and and just just grinds it out. So um, the top five is looking a little uneasy at running back, which is exactly why we're not seeing Saquon, Jacobs and Pollard getting paid. Right. It is with the injuries to Saquon and Pollard just makes a lot of sense for those teams to wait. Uh, Jacobs, I could see them maybe getting a deal done, but it is it is interesting. Yeah, so tough. And you mentioned Nick Chubb as sort of the, the, the jewel of this handful of names as being the steady, consistent guy, right? But for how long? He's uh, going to be, or is 28. Um, 
that contract lasts for another two years. Um, I imagine they'll probably, he'll probably play out that contract and they won't take the out after the 2023 season over there in Cleveland. But then after that, after 2024, he's a 30 year old free agent running back. Who's going to sign up for that? Uh, so it's a churn and burn position. And even those top five names are, are, are already burning. So, um, I do think that this draft class came at a really good time because it was deep with talented players at a time when the running back position needed it. Now, as far as how that will affect big contracts being signed by that position, yeah, that's kind of the the double-edged sword there because the, the rookies are so talented. Teams are kind of opting to go that route, not spend big money on uh, veteran contracts. And as a result, we're not going to see big money spent at that position for quite a while. Again, I think Saquon might be the you know, the, the guy to carry that water for the position if they can get a deal done, because it, it doesn't seem like there's any indication that Dallas wants to spend big money on someone like Pollard, even though they slapped the tag on him. They just went through what they went through with Ezekiel Elliott, which they should have seen coming at the time they did it. So I doubt they're really willing to sort of jump into that pool again. So it's, it's a bleak prognosis for the big contracts and how that might affect the, the value or weight of that position. But there's some good talent coming in. There is. So let's go to the top five that we have ranked, which is Jonathan Taylor at one, Bijan at two, Christian McCaffrey at three, Josh Jacobs at four, and then Brees Hall at five. And again, McCaffrey and Jacobs, they're they're getting a little bit older, but they still provide a lot of value. And I would say that they're likely to have at least two years of really solid production, and you might even get that third year out of one of them, maybe Jacobs, because I think McCaffrey's a little older. Um when I looked at that top five again, right, I think the conversation is going to fall on Taylor versus Bijan, and there's an argument to be made for both, right? So Jonathan Taylor uh, behind that Colts offensive line has been a little rough the past year, but they make a couple investments on the line, and they also go and get Anthony Richardson, right, who is this running do-it-all quarterback who should open up opportunities for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, so, you know, that's exciting, but then you have Bijan going behind this already great Atlanta offensive line who was like top five graded run blocking offensive lines in the NFL. They had a thousand yard rusher and Tyler Algier, who I think everybody was surprised because I don't think he's really that good. So you look at Bijan and you're like, wow, he's going to be a 15, 1600 yard guy off the, off the bat. Um, but the quarterback position isn't great. Right. So they have Desmond Ritter stepping in as a first year kind of solid starter uh, in his second year in the NFL and there's a lot of concerns there is uh, of, you know, will he be able to take pressure off of the running game? Will he be able to open up that offense to open things up for Bijan? Uh, so I think that's kind of the the debate at hand. So which guy do you think you would invest in if you were uh, taking one today? That's that's a tough one because I think, I mean, it's probably Bijan, but I think what's being undersold for Jonathan Taylor is that you have the upside in all 22 of Anthony Richardson opening things up for him with that style of play. Uh, he's got the vertical passing game. Then obviously that opens things up um, with his legs, with being sort of a Cam Newton light, if you can even call it light at this point uh, with his legs as well in the ground game. And you don't have to worry about stuff like, oh, well, you know, what, what about his red zone touches or goal line touches, right? We're just grading his actual performance 
So we're eliminating that sort of variance that you worry about as far as is he going to get the ball inside of the two-yard line? No, it's more so that the totality of his carries are going to be in much better situations with more room to operate as a result of Anthony Richardson's presence. So I think in 2023, I think the answer is Taylor for for sure. I think clearly he's got the body of work. He's done it before, and the situation is there. Um, I think beyond that, that's when you start to – go into sort of how much time is left. And then that's when you look at a, a B. John Robinson or even a Jameer Gibbs or more so more of those younger guys after that. But I think for 2023, it's Jonathan Taylor. So that's where I wanted to go next. Uh, we have Brees Hall at five and we don't have Gibbs in our top five. Uh, Gibbs is at seven, so not far behind. And there's Damian Pearson between them. So a lot of really good young talent. But when I look at Brees Hall and I look at Gibbs, I think there's a debate that maybe they should be switched. I, you know, I think it's debatable. Um, but which of those guys would you take, right? If you were starting a team today, you had to take one. Who are you taking? I'm taking, I'm taking Jameer Gibbs. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. I, I think as a pure prospect, if they were both coming out in the same draft class, you, you eliminate uh, Hall's knee injury, for example, right? And they're just pure running back prospects going out for the draft. I think Gibbs is clearly the superior player and talent. Uh, and he still landed in a really good situation. That offensive line uh, in, in Detroit, they've, they've invested heavily in. You have Taylor Decker, Frank Ragnow, Panay Sewell. Uh, they have you know weapons on that offense. That offense is, is productive. They obviously have a plan for Gibbs. He's a great receiver. I love everything about where Gibbs' uh, situation is and where he sits today. So I'm taking Gibbs because I think it's the better talent. They're both in good situations, but so the talent is just going to win out for me. And I think that's Gibbs. And I'm also just always, you know, I'm, I'm always scared of knee injuries and I know it's 2023. And for the most part, they all come back, but not all do. I think Brees Hall will. Apparently that's a pretty clean injury that he suffered, so to speak. But give me the guy who's not had to go through that. Who's also in a good situation. Who I thought was better anyway. Sure. The only issue I have with Gibbs is that they signed David Montgomery. So I don't want to ever have to worry about snaps, right? I never want to worry that my number one running back that I just made a huge investment in isn't going to reach the snap count minimum. Uh, but okay, let's go to the top rookies, which That's we have. 12th overall, 12th overall, dude. He's going to get, he's going to get plenty of snaps. Okay. We'll see. But uh, yeah, Bijan, Gibbs, uh, Charbonnet, Miller, and Spears. Uh, I think it's pretty straightforward. All of these guys landed in, you know, decent situations. I think Charbonnet is the one guy where uh, it was it was kind of a strange pick for Seattle, right? They had Kenneth Walker coming off of a great rookie season. Uh, but it could be, again, that they want to just reduce the carries for him and want to be able to depend on that run game. Uh, but the other guys I really like, and, and Miller, you know, was the guy that I spoke about early on being the guy that I liked most out of like the later running backs after Gibbs and Bijan. Um, because I liked his his kind of style of play. I thought he was had the, the most chance of success. And he ends up going uh, fourth out of the running back group uh, to New Orleans. And in my opinion, that's a great situation to land in. It's a situation where, uh, you know, it has a strong receiving game. So the pressure isn't going to be all on the running game. You still have a vet in Kamara to, to learn behind maybe for a year. Uh, but I think once that transition is made, Miller is a guy that could end up being a top back in, in the league every year. Yeah, you're the you're the Miller guy. I I see it. I like it a lot. He's got the profile for it. Um and again with with sort of 
things happening there with with Kamara and such, I could see him sort of ascending into that big role. So I'm a big fan of Miller as well. I like the spring in his legs. I think he could be a little bit more um, polished, if you will, but that's that splitting hairs. He, he had a big back with size, uh, with with good athleticism there, and who's young. So I like that. Uh, you probably know my guy already. It's Tank Bigsby. And I know people might go, well, they have Travis Etienne there. So what's the opportunity really look like for him? But I think it's probably bigger than you think. I mean, aside from the fact that Etienne just sort of gets nicked up a lot and and, and pretty often, um, I'm just a big fan of Bigsby's game. I like the investments that uh, Jacksonville is making up front on the offensive line. Brandon Scherf had a down year last year, really the first one of his entire career. So I'm kind of watching that pretty closely to see if, you know, that's just a, an anomaly, just sort of a, a one-off new new environment, new situation type deal, and he'll bounce back. Um, I liked Luke Fortner a, a bit coming out, uh, who was a rookie last year. So, you know me, I kind of always disregard those rookie grades and just look to see sort of how they develop from there. Uh, they have Cam Robinson to go along with that. So I think they're slowly building that offense. They've gotten the weapons on the outside that they slowly improved. So I think there's going to be a clear defined role for, for tank Bigsby, who really is a complete player who just kind of does it all as well. Probably doesn't get enough credit for how complete of a player he is. And I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Etienne goes down with one of those sort of, Oh, foot ankle sprain type deals. And you see Bigsby come in and really perform very well and makes that a true 50, 50 type committee at the very least. I would not be surprised if that happens. I'm a big fan. I guess I'm betting on the talent more so than anything else, given Etienne's presence there. But I, I, I have to shout out my guy Bigsby, and I don't want to, I don't want to bet against him. I like his landing spot. You know, I, I worry about Jacksonville's offensive line. They lost a starting, a starting tackle, but they do have, you know, some pretty solid pieces uh, besides that. So. Yeah, agreed. But then let's go to sleepers, right? So I, everybody knows mine is Deuce Vaughn, um, and I'm going to stick with that till the day I die. And he goes to Dallas uh, to kind of spell Tony Pollard, I hope. Um, and Tony Pollard, again, coming off of an injury, he will be back. He should be healthy, but he's only on that one-year deal. So is there a world that I think exists where Tony Pollard could, you know, just not perform at the high level as you know, uh, a workhorse back, which he's never really been asked to do before with the presence of Zeke. I think that world exists. And if it does, and they decide not to sign him to a long-term deal, I think you see a guy like do step in and be at least a, you know, uh, you know, a 20 snap, 30 snap guy in the NFL. Um, I think, you know, that, that, Offense doesn't really have much besides that at running back. There's Mike Davis they brought in and Ronald Jones. I have no faith in Ronald Jones at all. I think Deuce will easily surpass him. Um, so, yeah, and I think even if Pollard does end up doing well, I do think that the the Cowboys will not let him be this, you know, workhorse back. I don't think he gets more than, uh, you know, I don't think he's a 200 carry back. I don't think that ever exists. So um, with that offensive line, with the weapons at wide receiver, with Dak, it's a great offense to step into and be just a role player in your one and then develop from there. I mean, I hope you're right, I guess, you know, I mean, it'd be great if Deuce Vaughn becomes this weapon. I think he can. Uh, and again, the great thing about this is we're projecting players based on how they perform in their given role. And we're not so worried about, oh, well, he's not going to get 18 carries a game. So I'm going to automatically write off a great player like Deuce Vaughn. 
So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the plays that he can create. And we've seen, again, we've seen that with Tony Pollard when he was in sort of his spellback role and how they designed uh, the offense around getting the ball in his hands and allowing him to make some plays. They surely had that same sort of plan with Deuce Vaughn, uh, if nothing else. And so if he excels in that role, which, again, that's he's, he's tailor-made for that, right? That's what he does. Then, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great sort of landing spot and, and a great guy to sort of hang your hat on since we're not just bound by the shackles of, of volume touches, if you will. Exactly. Who's uh, your guy? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Dwayne McBride and more so because I think he's super talented. Now, the the word is he fell in the draft because of sort of off the field stuff, right? And so we don't have the details. You never know too much about what's going on there. But there's just those whispers around Dalvin Cook in Minnesota, whether he'll be there next year. And if he is, whether he'll be there sort of the year after. So, I mean, I, I just think that his time is coming to an end, his being Dalvin Cook. I think Alexander Madison is is what he is as far as a, a good number two type guy to get seven carries or so a game. But I don't see the talent that I see with Dwayne McBride, for example, right? So if they they part ways with Dalvin Cook, if they make a move there, that's that spot is wide open for for Dwayne McBride on a team that otherwise is pretty solid throughout, has great weapons on the outside. They're not going to face a bunch of stacked boxes, decent on the offensive line, have a veteran quarterback. I mean, it's pretty much a situation where you could step up and step in and just play right away. So, uh, you know, assuming the off-field stuff checks out, and if something were to happen to Dalvin Cook, there's a huge opportunity for Dwayne McBride. Yeah, I think it's regardless of platform, if it's all 22 or whatever it is that you play, uh, he's a good pickup. He's definitely a good add. Uh, but we saved the best for last, the most valuable for last, and that's wide receiver, and we did it on purpose. Um, but wide receiver increased weight from 5.25%, which was already really high, to 5.89, making it, I believe, the third most valuable position in all 22. Um, Ray, what was, what was uh, impacting this? Man, these people are spending money. Uh, And and over the last 15 months or so, if you will, wide receivers have been the beneficiary, right? So um, we saw, I mean, I think Tyreek Hill had had a huge contract. I don't even think he ended up in the top five APY anymore, right? Uh, But, uh, or actually, yes, he did. Yes, he did. Uh, Let me correct myself there. But uh, yeah, you had some big contracts going out as I try to type and speak at the same time. It doesn't work out very well. Uh, Tyreek Hill with $30 million per year. Devontae Adams at $28 million per year. DeAndre Hopkins still has a big deal, even though his future is sort of uncertain. Um, he's making over $27 million per year. Uh, and then you have Cooper Cup and Stephon Diggs as well. So the bottom end of that top five sort of contract base, if you will, is at $25 million per year. So a lot of big deals signed over the last 12 months or so. Some that didn't make it in to the 2022 update that are now in for 2023. So you see a huge increase there, uh, which, again, outside of quarterback, these are the the, the biggest risers. It's a, it's a passing league, and this just goes to show the value that the NFL is putting on these players. Pretty wild, because I remember when Hill, Adams, Hopkins started getting these deals, we were saying they're getting paid like, you know, mid-tier quarterbacks. 
but now quarterbacks are getting paid 50 plus million just separating themselves. So that's how the NFL works. Right. And that's why we think this is such a cool way to uh, just weight these players. Uh, and you said it. So Hill, Adams, Hopkins, Cup and Brown are the top five paid wide receivers in the NFL today. But there's a lot of guys with upcoming contracts that might just blow these guys away, uh, starting with that 2020 draft class, which was full of amazing talent. But those top two guys with Justin Jefferson and CeeDee Lamb uh, probably getting paid over the next 12 months. Do we think that they're going to just like, yeah, do we think they're going to blow it off the door? Like, where, where do they end up? Are they going to be 35 mil or are they just going to be like at, you know, Hill's contract? No, I think I think Justin Jefferson for sure is going to clear that probably 32-5 at least and then go from there. Um, he's he's just proven to be such a weapon, uh, most productive receiver in the league. So he's going to get a big payday for sure. Uh, C.D. Lamb as well. I mean, Jerry Jones always gets fleeced in these deals when he tries to play hardball. So um, he's going to give C.D. Lamb what he wants, which is probably going to be in that 30 mil range, 32-ish. Uh, I would say if I had to put put a number on it and bet. So yeah, I think these guys are going to clear. And then again, think about it. If you take out uh, the fourth and fifth contracts here at 26.7 million per year and then 25 million per year for Cup and Brown, and then you replace that with 32, let's say, that's, that's, a, that's a sizable increase. That's two contracts by more than $6 million or more that you're now adding into the equation. So that's that's another big leap. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think the value is going anywhere anytime soon. I think it's going to continue to climb again, pretty much at a higher rate than any position outside of quarterback. Sure. And another guy is T Higgins, who's part of that 2020 class. Uh, he's going to be an interesting one to follow while everybody in Cincinnati is talking about taking discounts so that they could stay together. Uh, you know, will Higgins take a discount to stay there? I, I don't know if I were him, I probably wouldn't. Um, although, you know, he might, he might value those Super Bowl uh, rings that he hasn't gotten yet. But the yeah. top five ranked now, we're talking about Justin Jefferson being our number one. I don't think there's going to be any debate there. We have Jamar Chase and CeeDee Lamb right after him. Drake London and uh, Garrett Wilson next. Then a guy like Jalen Waddell, uh, A.J. Brown. We have Devonta Smith, D.K. Metcalf, and Amon Ra St. Brown. So this is the one of the deepest positions in the NFL in terms of kind of a youth movement, right? These are all guys that are under maybe 26 years old. I think AJ Brown might be the oldest guy there. Uh, everybody else might be under 25. So just a super young group of very talented receivers who are already grading well. How do you start to approach drafting this group of guys? Yeah, just take the best young guy. I mean, if you have a chance at Jefferson, great, go for Jefferson. Um, I think clearly the top dog there. Because of the the amount of depth and youth, yes, you wait on some of the older guys like a Tyreek Hill, quote unquote, older. Just which one do you like best? Because there's so many to choose from that you know I, you can't argue with someone who says, "Oh no, I like uh, I like AJ Brown more than Ceedee Lamb." Right? There's a you know the only thing you could argue is, okay, well, there's a three year, two and a half year age difference there. So are you sure about that? Other than that, it's just flavor of ice cream because there's so many good young guys. I mean. You know, Jalen Waddle versus CeeDee Lamb, you can go either way. It's it's just again, what what flavor of ice cream do you like? If you start to sort of parse through the weeds and go, well, what about their quarterback and this and that? I think you're kind of I think you're kind of overthinking it a bit because these guys just based on their talent alone, 
have have proven they can take over games. They don't, they don't, they're not situation dependent, if you will. So in a startup, if I'm really sold and I want like the number one guy and I really want Justin Jefferson, great. But wide receiver is so deep that it may make more sense to look elsewhere at some other premium positions that may not be as deep, maybe like a cornerback, for example, um, and and maybe gobble that up or maybe get the best, uh, the best offensive guard. You get yourself a Quentin Nelson or a Trey Smith or something. And then circle back around to some other good receivers out there um, that maybe you know twenty seven years old or maybe you know like a Chris Godwin or something, and and you build from there. And then you know that there's a young crop of receivers coming out into the league later on, or you could take a chance on some of these rookies that you might be high on, like a Smith and Jigba or Jordan Addison or something like that. So the depth almost could potentially hurt the ADP value of some of these guys just based on draft strategy, but they're good. They're good and they're worth a lot. So you can't go wrong drafting a top guy early if they're your guy. You definitely can't. And I think the strategy should be or can be, you know, let's try to get one of them. And it doesn't necessarily matter which one of that top 10 you get, but you want to get one guy that you feel really good about, who's young, who's already producing. But I don't know if I would double dip, right? So that's kind of where, you know, in in a typical fantasy draft, if you're just doing, you know, a regular league, you probably want two or three of these guys in order to feel really good about your team, that's like, that'll separate you. But if you're doing all 22, you know, I, I think I would rather take that approach, right? There's only two, you know, corners, Sauce Gardner and Patrick Sertan that I might feel really, really good about taking. Whereas wide receiver, there's 10 to 15. So let me go get that sauce and then let me come back and get, uh, you know, a Garrett Wilson in the second round. That's a different approach. And I, I think that's where I would lean. But you mentioned some of those younger guys, right? So we have Njigba, at number one, we have Quentin Johnston at two, Zay Flowers at three, Jordan Addison at four, and then Jonathan Mingo at five. So, you know, some of these guys were surprises come draft day, right? Like we didn't expect Jonathan Mingo to be the fifth guy, although we really did like him. But um, how do you start to value these guys when, you know, a guy like Zay Flowers might be wide receiver three in that offense where Jonathan Mingo might have a shot at being wide receiver one? Yeah, it's tough. I think first and foremost, you have to like the player, especially in a class like this, where you're probably not discussing CeeDee Lamb versus Justin Jefferson, right? Um, so you have to like the player first and foremost before going into their situation. If you like two players, then okay, fine. What's their situation look like? And we talked about how you want to have the opportunity to have those big games that allow you to really have that weekly grade that sort of separates you from your opponent, right? It's kind of tough to do that more than once or twice a year if you're the third option on an offense, like a Smith and Jigba, for example, right? There's going to be some games where he, there's going to be many games where he grades well and maybe has like six catches for 60-something yards and four of them are for a first down. And that's that's great. You're probably going to get a mid-70s grade there. That's really good. If everyone else can do that, you're going to win your your game, right? But if you have someone like a Mingo and you're saying his competition for targets is, is who Adam Thielen, uh, you know, then maybe in the latter half of the year, he may start to take over and he's got a young quarterback like Bryce Young who might be looking to build that rapport with him. And he starts to, starts to take over that top role on the offense. He could have a big game. It's like the NFC South is just boasting with top corners and great defenses there that are just going to shut him down just because his offense isn't very good. So 
maybe maybe you take that chance then on a guy like Mingo if you like him as much as you might like whoever it is you're comparing him to. But I think first and foremost with a class like this where there's not any clear top flight stud type prospects like Clemson was throwing out there year after year with Sammy Watkins, Sands the health issues early on in his career, like a DeAndre Hopkins or something, right? Uh, like the player first and then go from there. And I think that's good advice, especially because in all 22, right, it's not necessarily just about how many receptions and touchdowns you have. It's about how you play, uh, you know, play in and play out. So a guy like Jonathan Mingo might not end up getting a thousand yards, but he might play really well. Or, you know, I, I look at Jordan Addison, right? He was my guy. And I still think that in my opinion, he's probably the best investment being that he landed in a spot where he's going to get, you know, number two receiver snaps most likely. Um, so he's going to be on the field. He's a great route runner. And there's Justin Jefferson across from him. So taking away double teams, which will give him opportunity. I think I still like that the most, but in Jigba, it doesn't have to be, you know, a thousand yard receiver either, or Mingo doesn't have to be a thousand yard receiver receiver either to get solid grading, right? He needs to be a good route runner. He needs to get open. Um, and, you know, he even needs to block. So those things, I think those receivers might, you know, be fine in all 22, but we will see, right? It's going to take time to see how these things play out. Um, and I don't think there's a bad investment there considering now that wide receivers getting close to almost 6% weight. Goodness. Just hearing you say that is like, oh man, 6% weight already for, for a wide receiver. Um, yeah, just goes to show you that's that's where the league is headed, man. Yep, exactly. So any last comments on receivers? Is there any uh, like guy that you think is a sleeper here? Not really. Uh, it's it's like I said. It's it's who you like. I actually had written down Mingo, uh, and I I wrote down here in the note. Not sure if this is considered a sleeper anymore, but I had him written down just because he's got a path to seize a big role out there in Carolina. Now it's totally possible. I don't know if they they sign a big free agent uh, a year from now or something, or or draft someone higher to to sort of uh, circumvent that or, or take over from there if he does improve it because they will have a lot of cap space, uh, you know, moving forward as well. So um, there's a little bit of risk there, right? I think people might be seeing it as a bit more wide open than it actually is for his future situation there, but he has an opportunity to seize it. So I had written down Mingo. That's, that, that's, that's all I got for you guys. If you like him, I think he's worth a shot. Yeah. So I'll just add that I really liked Tank Dell, right? I liked him a lot during the pre-draft process. Uh, and I do like his landing spot. He he lands in Houston. Uh, Brandon Cooks leaves, right? So there's this obvious opportunity with a player with similar skill sets, right? Shifty route runner, speed. Uh, I think he fills that that spot nicely. So he's definitely somebody that I'm interested in. I think if you're, uh, you know, if you're one of these guys that go after whoever Patrick Mahomes is throwing the ball to, Rashi Rice could be a sleeper, right? I think people are really getting high on him, although didn't love his pre-draft stuff. So I would I would lean towards the Tank Dell. But yeah, I think that's it. So, you know, we, we went through a lot today, four different positions. It was definitely a lot and we'll uh, maybe not wait so long next time. Maybe we'll get back into the dailies going through these, but we'll see. Uh, and thank you everyone for tuning in. If you haven't yet, please give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at all22 underscore PFF and leave us a review wherever you watch or listen to your podcast. Thank you for tuning in.